You know, it's funny when you ask that question, zero to 10, how excited are you? The difference you get when you ask a parent versus a kid. <laughs> Last service, one guy's like, the dad's like, 20. I asked a kid, one. You know, there's just not that much excitement. But uh, welcome to week seven of our series, Road Trip. We've been taking a journey with Jesus through the Gospels. And I just want to ask you, how many of you took the challenge seven weeks ago to read through the Gospels during this series? How many took the challenge? I'm not asking you if you fulfilled your part of the challenge, just if you took it. Great. Um, I have too. And you know what's interesting? Reading through the Gospels over the last seven weeks, it has reminded me why 2,000 years later, we are still talking about Jesus, why he is still a central figure in cultures and communities around the world. In 2015, Pew Research um, found that 2.3 billion people around the globe claim to be Christians. 2.3 billion people say, I am a Christ follower. That is a third of the world's population um, identify with Jesus. And I will tell you this because so so often um, we have such a uh, U.S.-centric view of the world. Outside of the United States, Christianity is growing like wildfire. I mean, a third of the world's population are, are connected with Jesus Christ in some way. And believe it or not, because all we look is inside uh, and we don't see like it's growing like crazy, Christianity is actually growing inside the United States. More and more people are accepting Christ and the truth about Christ in the U.S. and around the globe, meaning this, as we, as we have traveled through this series, we are studying, and if you're reading the Gospels, you are reading about the start of a movement that has captivated the heart of the world. This isn't like a U.S. thing. This isn't like a, uh, uh, it has no socioeconomic boundaries. This is literally a movement that we've been reading about. The things Jesus said and the things that he did are so well documented and so impactful that they are still having a major ripple effect around the world through every generation from 2,000 years ago up to today. And so today we're going to dive into one of the stories of Jesus that's well known. It's powerful. And I believe if you and I can see this story, in the right context as applied to our lives today, God can give you a vision of your life that is bigger and grander and more significant than you ever dared believe your life could become or have. And I don't know if you were a dreamer as a kid, um, you know, the, the, the what do you want to be when you grow up? kind of dreams that we all have when we're young kids. Um, when I was real, real young, um, I wanted to be a garbage man. Like that was my first dream I remember of becoming a garbage man because they would ride the back of the trucks and they had no like helmets on or anything. And like my mom was so proud of that one. And then uh, then I wanted to be a doctor for a very, very brief time. And then I wanted to be a garbage man again because garbage truck came by again. Um, and then I wanted to be a fighter pilot, uh, which is super cool. And then a biomedical engineer designing prosthetics. So weird because now I wear a prosthetic. Then a professional golfer, and then I wanted to be a pastor. And there, there's, a, there's a reason that pastor ended up sticking when I'm just not good at anything else. But the biggest is really because I realized that there was a calling placed on my life that God had put there before I was born. But here's what's interesting about realizing that calling in my, my kind of like early 20s is kind of when it was really solidified. Before that, Sometime in my late teens, uh, early 20s, before I ever did this as a vocation, I started to get a glimpse of how big of an impact God could make 
through my little old life. But it was just a glimpse. It was just a little glimpse here. And then it would just kind of like the curtain would open and then shut. And the door would kind of crack open. I'd get a peek and then it would shut again. And I would only get a glimpse because I had a problem then that many of us in this room have now. And here's the problem is that most of us don't realize how big of an impact God could make through us. Most of us don't realize how big of an impact God can make through us. We don't believe that God can do anything worthwhile or impactful through us. We don't think that our life and our gifts and our skills could reverberate throughout the heavens. Um, many of us, we don't know how to make an impact for God. We actually think that you know, to make an impact for God, you have to be a pastor or you have to be a missionary and move to, move to Africa, or you need to be a Bible thumper and just be whacking people across the face with Bibles everywhere you go. That's how you make an impact for, for God. That's just what we believe. Well, through our story today, I want to give you three lessons I believe are from Jesus um, that could turn your life on its head in the best way possible. Um, three lessons that, that could lead to your life having a ripple effect on into eternity uh, that could result in powerful spiritual growth in your life that could lead to a different way of living your life in the best way possible, a way that you would actually be thrilled with. In fact, today could lead to some of you, it could lead to the most productive, most significant investments of your life on this earth because of this verse where Jesus says in Matthew 10, 39, says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will actually find it. And I love Mark 8, 35. Jesus says it again in the book of Mark. It says, only those who are willing to throw away their life for my sake will ever know what it means to really live. Meaning that you could be going through your life right now and not really living the kind of living that Jesus is talking about because Jesus is talking about the reality of following God with your whole life. There's a blessing unlocked with giving your life away. There's a fullness that comes from giving your life away. There's a deep significance that results from throwing your life away for Christ. And so at the end of today and the next two weeks, I'm going to invite you to take a step towards giving your life away and seeing what God might do with it. So let me pray for us. Um, Jesus, thank you so much for today. I thank you for the story that we're about to read, Lord. And I thank you that you invite us into being a part of changing the world for eternity, changing people's lives for eternity. So God, I pray right now that you would just unlock our heart and unlock our minds to hearing your voice, your one and only voice speak truth into us. God, help us to experience the tangible presence that you bring to a room when people are talking about you and wanting to learn about you and reading your word. And God, I pray that you would just move all of us to action, that we might be a part of what you're doing in the world. In your holy name, amen. So our stop today on our road trip is a story that even if you don't go to church, you have probably heard about. It's a story where Jesus feeds the 5,000. Um, maybe you've heard about it. Jesus was in a boat. He was crossing the Sea of Galilee. And what would happen, he was so popular at the time this story happened, is when he would get in a boat to go across the lake, uh, people would like literally follow along the edges of the lake and be there when he got there. Now you're going, well, how could that be? Well, they didn't have motors then, and they had, they had oars, and they had like sails. And so you could literally, if it was not a very windy day, you could probably keep pace with a boat crossing this lake to get to the other side. And so Jesus would show up places and it would be packed. And so that happens here in Mark 6, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, 
he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, let me to kind of set up this story. First off, um, we aren't there yet, but in verse 44, we find out that there are 5,000 men on the hillside, not including women and children. So when you add them in, the women and children, you're probably looking at anywhere from 10 to 20,000 people are on this hillside, probably closer to 15 to 20. Um, and so that's the scope of what happens in this story. It's imagine standing in the middle of the Amway Center, and it is a packed house. Jesus had taught them for a while, and the disciples begin to realize that there is a problem on the horizon, that the sun was going down. There are 15, 20,000 people, and it's getting late in the day. No one has had dinner yet, and people are going to start getting hangry, okay? It's not just hungry. They're going to start getting hangry, and you know what it's like. You just start snapping at people because your stomach literally takes over your mind, and everywhere you look, you see a burrito. Like, that's just what happens when you get hangry. So there, people are kind of starting to get a little grumbly, so they have a flash of brilliance. They come up with a plan, and we will call it Plan A, and they think this. It's late in the day. Everybody's hungry, um, and the disciples are hungry. Peter had already jumped into being hangry. So they're like, okay, let's send everybody away. They can get food on their own. And more importantly, I think the disciples were thinking, and we can get some food. Like, I think that's really was their ultimate motivation. So they go to Jesus, and they tell him their plan A. They tell Jesus, they, they, Jesus, Peter's about to blow, okay? We've got to do something. Um, let's send them away to go get their own dinner. And Jesus answers them. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. And are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Jesus says, Jesus basically says, look, plan A, not what I have in mind. Let's do my dining plan. We will call it plan B. You give them something to eat. We'll call it magical dining. That's what we'll call it. Um, that's what we'll do. And so the disciples, they respond. They know Jesus by now. They probably already had this conversation with each other. They probably already knew what was going to happen here, and they're probably arguing with who's got to go tell him. They're like, okay, here's the deal. We know he's going to say something like you do it or something like that, so here's what we're going to respond with, okay? They're going to, they calculated it up, and they respond, well, well, that would take a half a year's wages, and then I think there's a little bit of a head shake going on, going, so what are we supposed to do? Jesus, go buy bread and give it to everybody? Like, I can just see that kind of attitude coming from them, because this is crazy, why? Because the disciples standing in the middle of the Amway Center at full capacity, realizing that Jesus has asked him to do something, and he's serious, and you have nothing to plan, you have no plans to do this, you weren't planning on this happening, and now Jesus wants you to feed everybody. This is a huge lesson right here before we even get into the rest of the story. There's a great lesson that's so easy to miss right in front of us in this moment. We're reading about the difference between God's wisdom and man's wisdom. We're reading about the difference. They're in perfect contrast here. Man's wisdom. What does man's wisdom say? Plan A. It's logical. It's safe. It's easy. It's smart. It's reasonable. Send people away. They can go get their own dinner. We don't have to mess with it. And they can, besides, they can really help the local economy. The like local economy will do better. And so there's a lot of reasons. Financially, it makes sense. Logistically, it makes sense. It, uh, it, it's good for everybody. And then you've got, you've got man's wisdom. Then you've got God's wisdom. It's plan B. It's completely illogical. It's completely irrational, actually. It's unreasonable by all accounts. Um, or Jesus just says, well, you guys feed the 20,000 people. And so you start seeing this dichotomy between we, the way we see the world and the way God sees the world. Man's wisdom says, use what you can see. 
God's wisdom says, use what you can't see. Man's wisdom says, do the reasonable. God's wisdom says, do the impossible. Man's wisdom says, use logic and concrete thinking. And God's wisdom says, well, use faith and God's power. And I will just tell you in this moment, I see in myself the propensity to be just like the disciples. When I'm presented with an, an, an issue or a challenge, I come up with reasonable plans. And I present them to God as if they're amazing plans. Like, you know, you can do that, right? It's like, God, this is such a good idea. How many of you are like reasonable plan people? It's okay to acknowledge that. Like, just reasonable plan. I'm just going to come with a reasonable plan, and that's what we're going to do. It's like when, when God asks you to do something, for many of us, we give God back a reasonable, what we are reasonably able to do. And often, it's not even what we're reasonably able to do. It's what we reasonably want to do, right? We tell this is what I want to do, and it's not necessarily what you're asking. Well, let me let, let you in on a little secret here that's illustrated by this story. The more I read about God in Scripture, the more I become familiar with how He uses us, I find that God's requests when He asks people to do things, they're usually unreasonable. They're usually unattainable. They're usually outrageous when they're viewed through man's wisdom. Like God's objectives, if they're God, if they're God's objectives, and they're from him, usually we can't do them without stretching our faith, without relying on him to pull it off. And it's at this moment in in the story that Jesus asks the most powerful question in the whole story. And that's what this entire message is about, this one question that Jesus asks as the disciples are looking what Jesus is requesting them to do and saying, we can't do that. Jesus turns to them in verse 38, and he says, how many loaves do you have? How many loaves do you have? Go and see. Jesus does not say, well, you guys better go collect money. You know, he didn't get out his like abacus and start doing some addition and subtraction and multiplication and go, ah, you need five bucks from everybody. He doesn't do that. He doesn't ask them, well, what's your plan? How are you going to fix this problem then? If you can't feed them, how are you going to fix it? He doesn't chastise them for their lack of willingness to even try. He doesn't demean their plan. He simply asks them, what do you already have? Go see. Go see what you have in your hands. John 6, verse 8. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, because Peter was hangry, right? He doesn't want to talk to anybody. Spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. Again, but what good is that with this huge crowd? And this is where you just kind of have to start asking questions. Why did Jesus ask them what they had? He knew they didn't have enough. He knew that there wasn't enough anywhere to feed that many people at one place. Besides, Jesus could have fed them without the bread and fish. Jesus could have called down Jesus chicken from Chick-fil-A, right? He could have done that all pre-wrapped in the little bags and everything. He could have called down Taco Bell from heaven. The golden nacho fries are heavenly. I'm just telling you. Um, but, But he asked them what they already had. Why did it matter what they had? I think first off, why he asked them what, he, what they had, he wanted to show them something, which, which is our first lesson for today. He wanted to show them and us the reality that what we have is not enough in our own hands. What we have is not enough in our own hands. All you and I have to offer Jesus to build his kingdom is the equivalent of five loaves and two fish to feed 20,000 people. That's about how much we have to offer God, not to put you and I down, not to say that we're weak or we're small. I think the question, how many loaves do you have, is meant to elicit this response, not near enough. 
I think that's the response Jesus is looking at. Well, how much do you have? Not near enough. It can't get the job done. And it wouldn't matter that the job is so huge that it wouldn't matter if you had five loaves and the next guy had 50, it's still inadequate. I think that's exactly the point Jesus is trying to make. And so this is what you need to hear. If you choose to follow Jesus, I know some of you haven't chosen to follow Jesus yet in your life, but if you choose to truly follow Jesus, he's going to ask you to do some things that seem impossible. He's going to invite you to do some things that you don't think you can do. He's going to ask you to do something that you think is impossible, do something that maybe even you don't want to do, and your knee-jerk reaction is going to be just like the disciples. I can't do that. I'm not smart enough. I don't know the Bible well enough. I don't make enough. I don't have enough time. I don't want to, if you're really honest. I don't want to. Meaning what? God's going to ask you to tell your boss or your coworker about him, and you're going to say, I can't do that. I need this job. I can't talk about Jesus at work. You know what happens? I might lose my job. I might lose some friendships. God's going to ask you to go visit somebody that's sick in the hospital, and you're going to say, I can't do that. I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say, and I hate traffic in Orlando. <laughs> like, I'm not, I don't want to do that. He's going to ask you to run a half or a full marathon, which there are still spots available, by the way. He's going to ask you to run a half or a full marathon to raise money for people that don't have access to clean water. And what you can raise through running a marathon can actually put a clean water well in a place where people's lives are completely transformed halfway across the world because of what you do. And you're going to, you're going to say, hey, God, listen, you know me. I only run if something's chasing me. Like, I don't run. That's not what I do. I don't have a runner's body. I like, look at this, you know? It's like, runners are crazy people anyways. You know, so we come up with all kinds of things, but there's still spots available. You can sign up and do that. We will help train you. We've got a whole team that is going to be running the Disney Marathon, raising money for the Pocot tribe in in Kenya. God's going to ask some of you to jump into our kids' ministry. So that, you can, can, so that we can continue to handle the overflow of kids that show up week in and week out as our church grows. We need to build that team. We actually need that team to double. And you're going to say, I can't. I don't know the Bible well enough. I, I struggle to like my own kids, much less other people's kids, right? It's like you're going to come up with all the reasons. God's going to ask you to increase your giving to become a full tither, giving a tenth of what you earn. And you're going to say, God, I can't. I don't have enough to do that. In fact, some of you are going to think, what I have to give is so insignificant, it won't matter anyways. The point of this story is that God doesn't ask you to give more than what you have. He asks you to give what you have. Are you willing to give what you have to him so that he might do something miraculously? Because that's what he asks. What do you have in your hand? You can serve one weekend a month. He can work with that. You can serve two weekends a month. He can work with that. You, you're not comfortable talking to somebody, but you can invite them to church. He can work with that. You don't have any training to work on our tech team. We can work with that. We'll train you. You don't know what to say to your neighbor that is struggling, but you can deliver a bag of groceries. He can work with that. What do you have? The point is not how much you can give. The point is actually what he can do with what you give. Verse 39, Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And I, lo- I love the Bible. I'm like, what, what other kind of grasses are going to be, right? On the green grass? Dead grass. I don't know. It's just in there. I think it's just to give us a visual. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. 
they all ate and were? There you go. Same thing. I'll give you that, Kev. No, they all ate and were what? Satisfied. And the disciples picked up how many? All right, you guys are way not responsive enough for this moment now, okay? We're going to try this again. The disciples picked up how many basketfuls? Twelve. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for playing along. Um, Twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. That's where we get that number. All pointing to when we are willing to give to God what we have, even if it doesn't seem significant or near enough, this next lesson is true out of this story and true of God. Our little is more than enough in God's hands. What we have is not enough in our own hands, but our little is more than enough in God's hands. It's not about what you have to offer. It's about what God can do with what you have to offer. It's not about your inadequacies because we typically tend to throw up our inadequacies whenever we get asked to do stuff we don't want to do or we don't think we can do. It's not about how inadequate you are. It is about how adequate God is. Jesus is just saying, just give me what you have and watch what I can do with it. And that's what I love about this. How many baskets were left over? Pop quiz, how many baskets? 12 baskets left over. What's left? More than enough. They didn't just feed everybody. There was more than enough. I remember the first time um, I started to see a glimpse of what God could do through my life. 17 years old, I moved from Texas to Michigan to start playing golf for Oakland University. And my parents, who had moved a year prior, had started going to this fledgling startup church called Kensington. And so I started going along with them um, as a freshman in college. And they did a day like today where they said, they said, hey, God can use you. Jump onto one of our teams. And it sounded interesting to me. And I kind of had a nudge from God about getting involved for the first time in my life as a volunteer at church. And I grew up in Southern Baptist churches. And we kind of had to go three times a week when I was a little kid. But I'd never volunteered at a church. And so I jumped in and I started volunteering on the tech team. And I was like the curtain boy at the time. Um, we, would, we would raise and lower the curtain uh, that we dropped down in between parts of the service to move stuff around on set. I got to wear a headset. And I felt super cool. I wore black, all black on Sundays. That's why you can't see any of our tech people. They wear all black. Um, and and after, after a while of doing that, I began to realize that I wasn't just raising and lowering a curtain on Sunday mornings. I was actually a part of a team of people that had a mission bigger than themselves. I started realizing that raising and lowering the curtain was my part of helping people come into relationship with Jesus Christ, helping people get to know God. And I was in college at the time. I hated getting up early on Sunday mornings, but I loved making Sundays happen. I began to learn what it took to do portable church. We met in a high school auditorium at the time. But I got the sense that what we were doing mattered for eternity. I got the sense that the little ripple that I was making was helping people come to church for the first time and meet Jesus and get saved. And I began to grow spiritually. My heart began to change. And then I began stage managing, which was super cool because as a 19-year-old kid, I got to boss adults around and tell them where to go back behind the curtain, which was really cool. And then I switched after a year or so. I began um, leading in the junior high ministry and these junior high kids actually looked up to me. I was way taller than them. And what happened is I started learning what happens when you love people. I started learning that with a little bit of love, loving people like God loves them, these junior high kids just started opening their hearts to me and telling me the things that they were struggling with. And I felt like God was beginning to speak through me 
to them. He was allowing me to help them grow. And I started, I just continued to grow spiritually. And then I started teaching them um, because the, 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 the guy that was supposed to teach on a Wednesday night got sick. And at 5 p.m. he calls me and he says, hey, I'm sick. I can't teach at seven o'clock. You're teaching on Lazarus. Go. And so I had to jump in and I had to teach these junior high kids. And it actually didn't suck. It actually went well. And, and all of this is happening while I am a full-time student. I have a job on the side. I play on the golf team on scholarship. So I am gone three to four days a week on golf trips around the Midwest. And I started realizing that my life, my little life could be about something bigger than me. It could be about something bigger than my dreams and my desires and what I wanted to happen because God was starting to use me to move people closer to him. And I, knew, I started noticing that I was growing in my understanding of God and how he saw me. And I started realizing that my little old life could have a ripple effect on people that could last into eternity. And it all started from just kind of doing a cannonball into the pool, you know? And just the ripples just boom, boom, boom out to the sides and back into the middle and back up to the sides and back into the middle. And if you're really heavy, back out to the sides and back into the middle. It's just kind of one of those things where just I just started noticing that there was something going on here that was bigger than me. Just like God can use your life right now to do the same thing. God can use your life right now to make a ripple into the fabric of other people's lives that will last into eternity. That little boy, he gave all that he had, which was not much. And I can see him coming up to the disciples and the disciples going, oh, that's really cute. Let's, let's take this to Jesus. He'll get a good laugh out of this. All we really know for sure is that even though what that little boy had to offer seemed insignificant compared to the need, when he opened his hands and he gave it to Jesus, it was more than enough was more than enough. And this is a biblical truth that should literally shape our faith. It should shape our actions. It should shape our, our very lives. It's, one of our, it's why it's one of our seven values. One of our values as a church, if you want to know what we're about, it's, it's, it, we call it with open-handedness. And there's a tagline that goes with it. We joyfully, keyword joyfully, release everything we have to the plan and purpose of God. We joyfully release everything we have to the plan and purpose of God. We live with open-handedness, with everything that we own. And what do we re release? We release our time, our talents, and our treasure for Christ's sake. And he promises that if we do that, we'll find what? Life. The kind of life we're looking for, a life of significance, a life of purpose, a life of leaving a ripple on this earth that will continue on into eternity, which leads me to one more lesson for us from this story. And it's kind of cheesy, um, but I made it rhyme because it's easier to remember. Um, but here you go. Um, miracles land as we open our hands. Miracles land as we open our hands. Did you notice what they did before they experienced the miracle? Did you notice? They set everybody down in groups. They prepared everything they could. They called their friends who needed help passing stuff out. <laughs> and the miracle happened when? The miracle happened as they passed out the bread and the fish. It didn't happen before, it happened as they were handing stuff out, as they were handling the baskets, after they had set everybody down. It's, it's not like the, the miracle happened, like, wow, look at all that bread and fish, let's go pass it out. They actually, think about this, they went out with a basket full with maybe one fish in it because they had to spread it around, and as they did it, the miracle of multiplication happened. 
See, Jesus doesn't show us what he will do if we jump into the pool. He just says, if you jump into the pool, I'll show you. As you do that, I will show you what I'll do. It's exactly what he did here. Miracles land as we open our hands, not before, not after. It's as we jump in, God jumps in and does miracles. I still remember the first person I ever led to Jesus Christ. I was at a junior high camp as a leader, and um, I uh, was sharing a dorm room at a college we were at. I think it was in Ohio. Um, terrible place to go. Don't ever go there. Um, but uh, I'm from Michigan. It's like you just have a hatred for Ohio things, um, all things Ohio. Uh, not Ohio people. I like Ohio people, just not the uh, state of Ohio. But we're in, a, we're in this uh, dorm room in this college. I got a couple of junior high boys in there. And I don't know if you've ever spent a week in a dorm room without air conditioning or a fan with two junior high boys. Don't ever do it. Your nose will never come back the same, okay? It was just kind of one of those weeks. It's like, please take a shower. I don't like taking showers. Take a shower. Go in the bathroom. Five minutes later, come out. They're totally dry. I took a shower. No, you didn't take a shower. Go take a shower. Um, but, it was, so it's, but it's the second last to last night of camp. Um, and after small group, one of, my, one of the kids that's in my room, he comes to me and he just says, hey, uh, he starts sharing a little bit of what's going on in his family and how difficult life was. And he says, says I think I want to um, ask Jesus into my life. And I was, like, I was like, oh man, that's really cool. And he's like, yeah, I want to do that. And I was like, now? Like I'm like, here? And he's like, yeah, would you help me do that? And I'm like freaking out inside. I had never led anybody to Christ. I didn't know the right words. And I'm just in the back of my mind going, oh my gosh, if I screw this up, he's going to go to hell. You know, I'm like, I've got to get this right. Um, I don't know. I really even know what to say. And I'm just in the back. I'm just praying. I'm like, God, God, help me. I don't know what to say. And so he's like bowing his head. He wants to accept Jesus. And so I just, I bow my head and I kind of fumble through this prayer, uh, you know, and I don't, I don't really know what I said, but all I realized was that at the end of that week that God had used me to draw this young young man, turning into a young man, to Christ and allowed me the opportunity to pray with him in that moment where he would spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. It was just one of those moments where I got a glimpse. I got a glimpse of what God could do if I gave him everything that I had. Jesus performs this miracle, and they feed everyone till they're full, which is incredible, but the miracle just doesn't end there. They pick up 12 baskets afterward, meaning this. When you give God whatever you have, the return, the return is more. What he gives back to you, and I don't know how he gives it back. It's not, it's not always like, I did this and then I got that. But all I can tell you is that when we give God everything we have, the return, the return is always more. It's more than enough. And I'll just tell you, I want to follow a multiplying God. I want to follow a God that will take my five loaves and my two fish of my life that I have to offer and multiply it and feed thousands, and give me back 12 basketfuls. That's the kind of God I want to follow. That's the kind of God that is inviting you to follow him if you're a follower of his, and inviting you to follow him if you're not a follower of his. That's what's crazy about getting involved, truly involved in the church. 
Like the church is God's plan A to reach the world. The church is God's plan A to see, to see the, the billions of people on this planet come to faith in Jesus Christ. And he invites us to give what we have to be a part of the life of the church in such a way that we could reach those people. And so today I'm really, I'm encouraging you, challenging you to jump in to serve here at Kensington. And what I want to do, which is super fun for me because there are so many incredible stories around our church, I want you to hear from somebody that just jumped in uh, a while back and, and it has impacted his life in, a, in an incredible way. Um, he actually serves with our K-Kids ministry. Would you welcome with me up to the stage, Mr. Alan Wilson. Come on up here, Alan. Now, what you're going to find out in a second is Alan actually has one of the best accents in the church. Um, if you've got a better accent than him, come on up afterwards and we'll have you guys talk at each other. I'll decide, okay? Um, but, but Alan, um, first off, I would just, I, I love your story of how you even came to faith in Jesus. And I would love for you to just share that with us before we jump into the serving part of things. Okay, so um, I came to Florida from out of state, as you can tell from my accent, about five years ago. And at the time, I was looking for a church to, to come to. Um, but during these five years, I did go through some major life-changing events and tragedies. I lost my mum to can, uh, lung cancer, lost my father to mesothelioma, and then my marriage was starting to fail and failed. Um, so as you can imagine, I was in a really low, dark place. Um, on the outside, I was fine, but inside my heart, my heart was broken. And I now know from, from the last year that God said, okay, and then he just nudged me. He nudged me in a direction um, to a marriage counsellor. Um, and he said, well, why don't you try my church? And I went, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go. So I remember coming into Kensington and feeling that everybody was so welcoming and, and, and just wanted you to be a part of this church and to, to show you the way. So I dropped my kids off at the, the K-Kids and they were more than happy to go. And then I sat in the, the gymnasium when we had the gymnasium back then. Um, and then a band came on and I said, this is not a church, what's going on here? And then the band started being playing rock music and it was one of my favorite songs, U2 One. And I thought, this is not what I think a church is. So the band came off and then this handsome, <laughs> guy wearing jeans and a plaid shirt. I, had I to paid him that. to say I that. I had to say that. Came on, I said, this is not a pastor, this is not a minister. And then he started talking. He started talking about scripture. And he wasn't talking to everybody here, he was talking to me. And he started talking to me personally. And during the service he said, does anybody want to be baptized? And I just felt this strong urge that Kevin was asking me to be baptized that day. First time in this church. First time in a church in America, do you want to be baptized? And at that time, the sun was shining, and it was shining through the window towards me. And I just had this overwhelming urge to stand up, walk to the back, speak to Bill Millat and say, I have this strong urge to be baptized. So that day, we went out to the, the swimming pool, and then Kevin baptized me. And then he's led me on my spiritual road to be closer to God. And you accepted Christ that day, didn't you? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that a, isn't that a great story? Yes, thank you for that, man. Um, and so shortly after that, you actually jumped in and started serving. And so I want to just ask you, like, what, what made you do that? 
came to the question. Um, I just I, I thought it was the right thing. Um, you were asking, does anybody want to serve uh, a, a part of the church? So again, I was speaking to Bill. He goes, I would like to serve, but I don't know in what capacity. And thinking that they would use my size to be able to help load the equipment, move things around, or be security. But Bill says, well, what do you want to do? And I did mention that I, I do work for Disney, so I'm very family and children orientated. Um, I'm a scout leader, so I love working with children. And I've got two young children as well. So he, then he said, okay, well, you can be in charge of the K-Kids from 9.30. And I thought, I'm not a scholar by any means on the Bible. How can I be able to teach the children? And what I found out that is very easy, it's very simple for us to be able to communicate with the children, to put the, the videos on for large group, and then just to talk uh, the, the purest and most loving form with children to understand what their views, what they think of God. And it's just an amazing experience. Yeah, and so uh, how has that impacted you, uh, just in your walk with God, but just also as, as, a, as a follower of Christ? To see the love of God through children's eyes, its purest form, warms your heart. You know, I'm looking at you right now. Yes, seeing, thinking about Gabriella. Yes, it's seeing the love of God through children's eyes, and it just breaks it down to the simplest form. Um, and, and to be in that journey with the kids and to, to learn about God's scripture with the kids is a, is a fantastic journey, a journey I would encourage anybody to, to go on with. Yeah, so let me, let me ask you this. What, what would you have to say? Because I know there's some people here today. They're just kind of like they're on the fence. They don't know if they can. They've kind of got that list of, 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 man, I can't because of this, 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 this. Just what would you say to somebody that's sitting right there on the edge of jumping in? Simply, why not? You, you, don't, you don't need to be part of the K-Kids, or maybe you want to. It's a great part of the Kensington faith. And as, as Kevin was saying earlier on as well, you don't have, we can help you, nudge you into the direction that you want to go. Being part of Kensington is just a wonderful, wonderful family. And it, it, for me personally, it just helps me grow spiritually. Every Sunday when I'm coming into the, the church, I just, all the noise that goes on in our lives, acts on mute and then for the, the time that we're together it's just a, it's, it's a, a grounding experience that we're just learning about scripture we're learning about the lord and it just gives you this loving warm feeling in your heart and i would encourage anybody to to please do it that's awesome man let's give this guy a hand thank you man appreciate you buddy thank you for sharing and so i just want to kind of end our our day with the, the same question that Jesus asked his disciples. How many loaves do you have? How many loaves do you have? And are you willing to give what you have, time, talent, treasure, to the God of multiplication? Would you be willing to give that to him? Because I will just tell you this, this community, our community, needs exactly what you have to offer. And you might even be sitting there going, I don't even know what I can do. We need what you have to offer. And so are you willing to jump in and serve one weekend a month? Are you willing to jump in and serve two weekends a month? You can attend one and you can serve another. 
God can take whatever you have to give and multiply it and use it to have a ripple effect on past this life. There is not a single spot on any one of our teams that is insignificant. And I'll just tell you, our dream is to reach thousands of people in this area with the love of Jesus Christ. And I'll just tell you this, we can't do it without 55 people stepping up and serving this fall. That is kind of what we're looking for, 55 people. We need you to jump in and be a part of our teams. RK Kids Ministry needs to double. We need 15 people to jump into K-Kids ministry so that we can double the size of that ministry so we can handle more families that want to come and meet Jesus here. The only way we can grow our church and grow our influence in this community is if we can handle the growth as a church. Our setup team, we have a few guys that do most of the work. They come here at 6 a.m. on Sunday mornings, and they set this place up. There's another team that comes right after service and tears it back down. We need six to eight people to jump in and be a part of one of those two teams. Our student ministries, we need people who will just love middle and high school students. Uh, we, need, we need four of you to just step up and say, I will jump into one of those two teams. Our guest services team, it's coffee, it's ushers security, parking team. We need 15 people to step up and say, hey, put me where you need me on that team. I will help. Our prayer team, we need four to six people to join our prayer team, our tech team that runs all the equipment here. We need eight to 10 people and we'll train you. If you don't know anything, it's okay. We'll train you in the disciplines. What we need from you is for whatever you have to offer, would you be willing to give it here to create an amazing place for volunteers and those attending, but even more so, what matters more to me is not what we might get from you. It really is what I believe God and what we want for you. And that is for you to be a part of a community of people who is on mission to change the world with the love of Jesus Christ. That's really the mission of our volunteer teams. We want to put on a great Sunday morning and create a place that's very welcoming and loving for everybody. But ultimately, what do we want to do is we want to create a community that's on mission a community that's all giving what we have to the God of multiplication. And we watch him every weekend take what we have, multiply it, and feed the thousands around here with the love of Jesus Christ. And I will tell you this, whatever you give to God, God will give you back more than you give to him. And it's unashamed, unashamedly that I ask you to do this you might be thinking, man, this is a really hard push, or they really need people. It's like, we need people, but more so I'm asking because I just look back and see how much it's impacted my life. Like, I started a journey of volunteering in the church at 18 years old, and I've not stopped since. And I believe that that's going to be some of you in the room. And so let me just tell you how to do this. Um, it's really simple. Um, there's a couple of different ways to jump in. And uh, I want to give you most of them afterwards, but the very simplest way is to just decide in your heart that you're going to right now. Just go, I'm in. And I'll tell you what to do after the service. And for some of you, it's not jumping into serving right this moment. Really, it's jumping into following Jesus because some of you have been coming here for a while and God's been nudging you, knocking on your heart and asking you to invite him in. And you've kind of been pushing back, pushing back, and you've come up, come up with the I can't for these reasons. Um, I want to end the message part of today by giving you the opportunity to invite Jesus into your life. If that's you and you're ready to step across the line of salvation, now's your time. Um, would you, um, everybody in the room, bow your head, close your eyes with me. And I just want to invite you to pray if you're ready to accept Jesus into your life. And that is your first step. I just want you to make my words your words. And you can just say from your heart to God, um, God, today's the day. I want to invite you into my life. 
I believe that you sent Jesus here to die on the cross to pay for my sins. And today, God, I invite your son Jesus into my heart. And I ask that you would change me from the inside out. I pray that you would grow me spiritually. I pray that you would help me with the issues and the challenges that I'm facing. And I pray that you would give me strength to manage the day-to-day with your help. Today, I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let's say if you prayed that prayer, I want to ask you to do two things. One is let the people at the Starting Point area know, um, right in the back, uh, in the lobby there, and just say, hey, I prayed today. We want to give you a Bible and help you out with, uh, with kind of how we can help you grow next steps for you. And then secondly is tell somebody that either invited you or that you know in your life has been praying for you that you prayed that prayer. And, uh, and, and I believe that through doing those two things, God will kind of jumpstart your journey in a very powerful way. Now, how we're going to close our service out is we're just going to spend a little bit of time just worshiping, singing songs to God. It's something that Christians have done for 2,000 years since Jesus was here um, uh, on this earth. And it's really just songs declaring who God is and allowing him to speak to us as we open our hearts through music. Um, And so before we start the song, we're going to uh, receive our offering. And so ushers, if you guys can come on down. Um, As we are receiving the offering, if you're new here, Um, Let the basket go by. We're not interested in your money. The service is our gift to you. If you call Kensington home, this is where we give back to God from what he's given to us. And just so you know, this is an act of worship where we actively say, God, thank you for what you've given to me. And now I give to you a portion of it for your purposes and for your needs. And so thank you for those of you that do that. And then in just a minute, um, the band is going to invite you to stand and sing with them. And I just want to encourage you at that time to stand up and just open your heart and your voice to God and experience his presence as we sing together.